Hey, Keith, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? Fine. So we're looking forward to a great episode of the MLB, NFL, and NBA. So we want everybody to listen. So welcome to a new episode of the Dodgers, Lakers, Patriots, and Rams podcast. I'm your host, Laura Antonio. Today, my guest, Keith Jacobs, who's a weekly analyst on my podcast team, will be with me today to discuss MLB and NFL and NBA news. So for the MLB today, we're going to talk, we'll preview the Reds and Pirates season. We're going to preview, we're going to, we're going to, and then we're going to talk about our reactions to the Machado signing to the Padres and also reflecting on the death of Frank Robinson and John Newcomb. And then for the NFL, we're going to talk about what's in store for the Cowboys, Eagles, and Redskins in 2019 and what their team needs are this offseason in the NBA. We'll recap NBA All-Star Weekend and what the goals for the Lakers in the second half of the season. So let's start off with the MLB, and let's first start off with the Manny Machado signing with the Padres. So what were your thoughts on that one? So the Manny Machado signing was was very interesting to me, and, um, you know, a lot of people compare this to the uh, – Robinson Cano signing to the Mariners, the, you know, the Albert Pujols signing to the Angels and the, um, the Alex Rodriguez signing to the Texas Rangers. And, and that's, that's kind of what it looks like to me too, to be completely honest. You know, my first reaction was this is really about the money. Um, and, you know, l- listen, Manny Machado is a great player. You know, he deserves the money that he was paid. He's a, a top five third baseman in the game when fully healthy top five shortstop, whatever you want to call him. But, um, you know, let, let's be completely honest with ourselves until all of this young talent, that the Padres have, uh, you know, Tatis Jr. Uh, Urias, um, Mackenzie Gore, uh, you know, Eric Lauer, Lucchese, until all of these guys develop fully. And even Renfro still has a little bit of a ways to go along with Manuel Margot. Until those guys fully develop, this is a team that right now, yes, they're better with Machado, but they're not jumping over the Rockies and the Dodgers in their own division. Certainly not the Dodgers anytime soon. And they're not competing for a wild card spot anytime soon. So the way I see it, to me, the first three, four, maybe even five years, if you want to argue for Machado, are going to be spent wasting his prime in third place. But he'll be getting $30 million. So, um, you know, to me, it was just a little bit confusing. Now, the one thing that I would love to know in relation to that is how many options he had on the table. Um, you know, that would certainly kind of grant some perspective a little bit on my part as far as why he chose the Padres. I'm not really sure as far as, as far as the amount of offers on the table were concerned, what his options were, what, you know, whether they expanded more than the Padres and the White Sox. But um, to me, this is a deal that is not going to make a big difference right now as far as getting the Padres to the playoffs. But you do need a big superstar like Machado to get revamp, um, you know, to, to get your um, you know, your rebuilding effort in the right direction. So it was a good move for the Padres. I'm just not sure for the first three, four, five years of the deal if it was a good move for Machado if he's really focusing on winning a World Series. I think, you know, I was predicting Machado to go to the White Sox for my perspective, but, I mean, the reason why I think in, in Machado's perspective, the reason why I believe he chose San Diego to play for the Padres is because he – he probably wants to be around the nice weather in San Diego and the hot weather there. He wants to be near the beach and all that. Cause that's what type of person he is when it comes to Manny Machado. Yeah. You know, he's a Florida guy and you know, I don't dispute that. I'm sure that had a lot to do with this decision. And you know, if it, if it were me personally, if it came down to living in, in 
you know, beautiful San Diego where it's sunny in 75 or Chicago where, you know, it's, it's pretty much brutal weather up until about mid to late May. I would probably choose San Diego too. I, I just look at it from a winning perspective and a perspective of competing. And, you know, not, not that I hold the White Sox in such a high regard, but to me, I look at the Chicago White Sox as a team in comparison to the San Diego Padres, and I see the White Sox in a better position set up right now to be able to compete for something in the American League simply because, you know, you take a look in their division. The only real team in that division right now is the Cleveland Indians, so they have a legitimate shot of doing something if they can get their act together. And there's a decent, you know, there's a decent shot of them being able to compete for a wild card spot if you know, they're able to get that talent together. Um, you know, I look at the Padres. They're not competing with any of these high-end wildcard teams. We talk about, um, you know, there's there's going to be three NL Central teams competing for two of the spots. Um, you know, there's going to be a few teams from the NL East competing for the spots. Obviously, the Rockies for, in their own division are going to be in that discussion. Um, and then they're not getting the, Rock, the Rockies or the Dodgers in their own division. So, to me, he seems stuck. Um, I, I'm happy for him that he got his money and I'm happy for him that he's going to be playing in a, in a, you know, a beautiful environment in San Diego. But the reality of the situation is for the first three, four, five years of his deal, he's going to be stuck playing for a team that's just waiting for young guys to develop so they can really get things going. Absolutely. But like we talked about before, when it comes to the Padres roster, I do expect Fernando Tatis Jr. to be the opening day starting shortstop. And I think for Tatis Jr. to play next to Pat- to Machado on the left side in the infield, it's going to really help with Tatis Jr.'s development. Oh, absolutely, and and that and that can't be disputed. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. If I'm Machado, I get a look at a guy like a Fernando Tatis Jr. and I have the opportunity to, you know, not only play alongside him on a day to day basis, but be able to, you know, kind of groom him and and watch him grow. Uh, you know, a, a guy like Machado, who is, you know, one of the better two-way players in the game. He's obviously a tremendous gold glove infielder um, on, on the defensive side of the ball. And on the offensive side of the ball, he's a guy that can hit for power. He can hit for average. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Um, and it's certainly going to be to Tatis's benefit. I think that this move only makes him better. Um, we, we did talk about the fact that uh, both of us thought it was going to be a more realistic option for uh, Mike Moustakis to go to the, uh, to the Padres. Obviously, he's now with the, uh, re-signed with the Milwaukee Brewers. But, I mean, I, I love this deal you, you mentioned for Fernando Tatis Jr. I love it for him because this is going to help him, I think, to grow and develop even faster than the Padres were expecting. It's already a foregone conclusion that Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be the opening day starting shortstop for the Padres come March 28th when they open up with the Giants. Oh, yeah. No, they will. Oh, he will, absolutely. And, and you and I have talked about this many times. We both agree that on top of the fact that he's going to be the opening day shortstop, he's probably going to go out there and win the Rookie of the Year award this year in the National League. Oh, absolutely. But I'm also, I heard some rumors about Bryce Harper joining the Padres, and then the Padres were not ruling him out. But I heard a report today that the Padres have officially ruled out Bryce Harper since they signed Machado. It's already a foregone conclusion that Bryce Harper is going to be a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. 
Yeah, I don't see any other I, I don't see any other scenario working out. Um I also saw today that Bryce Harper turned down offers from five teams, all of which exceeded three hundred million dollars. Um I, I still believe that Harper's gonna be a Philly. I think the only team that really has a um you know a chance right now is probably San Francisco, uh just because of the West Coast ties there. Um but you know, certainly I do believe that I maybe not by the end of the week, but certainly um, you know, by the end of February, I believe that Bryce Harper will be wearing a Phillies uniform. Absolutely. I agree with that. But I have a revised lineup on the San Diego Padres now that Machado's on board. So I have Ian Kinsler leading off, then Tatis Jr. hitting second. Then I have Will Myers moving up and batting third with Eric Hosmer hitting fourth. Then Machado hits fifth. Then Renfro hits sixth. Then Hedges back seventh. And then uh, Manny Margot hits eighth. I like that lineup a lot. I love plugging. Uh, I love plugging Machado in the five hole uh, to be able to, um, you know, to to be able to provide some some five hole hitting for them. I think he's a very. I think he's perfect um, for that spot because it's it's while it's also an RBI spot, um, it, it's a spot that is. And this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I'll explain it. It's unsus- It's unsuspecting, and what I mean by that is. Typically, when you stick a guy in certain spots in the lineup, right, you know what you're getting out of him. Typically, you're going to find a leadoff guy. He's a guy that can get on base. He's a table setter, and he can kind of slap the ball. You're getting, you know, typically your three, four power guys, um, you know, your big-time RBI guys, your lower-in-the-lineup guys are, are turnover guys. Um, you know, that five spot, you can throw just about anything in there. You know, you t- I take a look at a Daniel Murphy, for example. He's a guy that, you know, he, he can – you know, he can hit the ball to all fields, but at the same time, he's got 25 home run power. You can get that out of Machado. He's got 30, 35 home run power, but at the same time, he's, you know, he's a disciplined hitter. He can, you know, provide you good at bats and he can hit the ball to all fields, certainly uh, when he's at his best. So, you know, for me, that's a, I, I love that lineup. I think that's a very, very good spot to plug him into. Yeah. The five hole for Machado when it comes to the Padres lineup, but do you agree with the, Kinsler leading off, Tatis hitting second, and then Will Myers hitting third so that Eric Cosmer is the cleanup hitter. Yes, I, I 100% agree with you. I love Kinsler leading off in that lineup. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I certainly, if I'm the Padres, I certainly want Tatis to, to work up to that number two spot. I do. I agree with you. I think that's probably where he'll start. Um, but for me, if it were, th- and this is just my personal opinion, for me, I would probably want to work him a little bit lower in the lineup just to start out, just to allow him to get a feel for big league pitching, get a feel for spin, location, all of those things. And, you know, once he's able to do that and, you know, get, get comfortable, that's when I move him up in the lineup. But, you know, the San Diego Padres, you want to throw him into the fire right away because he's that big time prospect. And, you know, I agree with you. They're probably going to start him at the two spot. Starting him a little lower is just personally what I would do. Yeah, I, that's your opinion. I could agree with that. But I, I do expect Fernando Tatis Jr. to hit behind Kinsler in the lineup when, it, when, he, when he officially wins the starting shortstop job over Luis Urias. And he's going to take that all the way to the Rookie of the Year award. I mean, he's, I, I predict he's going to have an absolutely stellar season. Borderline all-star, I'm not sure how he'll fare in that regard. I don't, I'm not going to make any predictions there. But I do think he'll be able to bid for an all-star, uh, an all-star appearance this year for San Diego. Oh, of course. And Hosmer, too. I, although Eric Hosmer had a disappointing first year, and Machado will definitely be a National League all-star. And uh, 
whenever the Dodgers play the Padres in spring training, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing when the Dodgers play the Padres in spring training. But although they don't they don't meet in the regular season until May, so the Padres have a relatively pretty much easy schedule to begin the year. But I just look forward to when the Padres sweep the Giants from a Dodgers perspective, from a Dodgers fan's perspective myself, because as a Dodgers fan myself, I just don't like the Giants. Yeah, and I expect you talk about Eric Hosmer. I expect with the signing of Manny Machado for Eric Hosmer to have a bounce back season. Now he's got more protection in the lineup with Machado hitting behind him. Uh, I expect that also to help Will Myers as well. And then you add Fernando Tatis Jr. That provides another bat up at the top of the order that lengthens the lineup and provides more depth, takes pressure off of guys like Hosmer who, you know, in in that ballpark really can't swing too big, can't try to do too much. Now he's got to, and, and, you know, he's past that first year of his contract. So now it's beyond, you know, I, I got I to gotta fit into a new ballpark. I got to fit into a new environment. Now it's, okay, I've been here for a year. I'm familiar with the clubhouse. I'm familiar with, you know, the, the organization itself, the fan base, what have you. I can now lock in, focus on playing ball. I got another star here in Manny Machado. I, I can get back to it. And I expect him to be the same, you know, the, the Eric Hosmer that we're used to seeing. Oh, of course. When when he's right, Eric Hosmer is a fantastic ball player. But other areas for the Padres, like we talked about, Garrett Richards is going to miss a year. So don't expect him to, to pitch this year. Pitch, have him help contribute next year since Garrett Richards is just coming off Tommy John surgery. But – this Padres rotation is pretty relatively young, but I'll tell you, I think Mackenzie Gore is going to be something special like we talked about before. Eric Lauer is, has turned out to be a, an ace, kind of, and Joey LaCasey is, has not yet hit his, hit his ceiling, too. No, I agree with you, and, and that's really what we're waiting for. We're waiting for these young pitchers to, to develop. You know, Who knows really with Mackenzie Gore? I think he's going to blast right through the minor leagues. Um, and, and probably be up at the big leagues within, within two years. Um, you know, he is an A ball right now, so we'll see how, you know, how he's able to progress. And then these guys at the big league level, you know, you just need to continue to, to, you know, give them innings and just continue to watch them get better. They're young guys. You know, Lucchese is, is, you know, under 25, Lauer's under 25, so, you know they they just gotta they just gotta keep building up that foundation because the pitching is the one thing that they're really missing. But with minor league development, hopefully eventually over the course of Machado's tenure, they'll be able to maybe sign a free agent or two, continue to develop that farm system, and and you know once they get the pitching, and you know their offensive guys develop the way that we think they will, I think this team could be on the right track. Now again, it's gonna take time, but they you know they could be onto something in San Diego. Yeah, like let's. Talk about their pitch. I think their starting pitching won't be in the top 10, but I'm going to say the Padres' bullpen is going to be in the top 10 this year because although they lost Brad Hand to the Indians and traded him, I think their bullpen will be in great shape. No, I, I agree with you too. I mean, you know, like you said, it's not it's not going to be completely up there with, you know, some of the best in, in baseball, but, you know, it's certainly not going to be a crutch for them. And, you know, I take a look at, at a couple of arms that they have, um, you know, their bullpen, 
excuse me, when I, uh, when I take a look at their bullpen and, and, you know, one guy that jumps out at me, a couple of guys that jump out at me, Kirby Yates, you know, he's a a proven arm in this league and, you know, another proven arm in this league you got is Craig Stammett. You know, he's been around the block, Robert Stock. I like a lot. And, you know, Luis Perdomo obviously has that experience, not only being a starter, but also being a long man. So, um, you know, they have a few guys in their bullpen that have, you know, that, that have some good ability. I think they're probably going to sit maybe in, you know, middle, middle category in the league. I could see them being maybe like, like 10th, maybe 11th in the national league, as far as bullpen ERA is concerned, which is not horrible. Um, but obviously still has a, uh, you know, has room for improvement, uh, which we can obviously see that they're going to need to be able to build on if they want to have Machado's tenure in, in San Diego be successful. I think the, when it comes to the Padres, I say Kirby H is going to be the closer. Craig Stammen's going to be the setup man. And the seventh inning guy, I would give it to Phil Mayton. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Phil Absolutely. Mayton, I think, is a guy that, even though he's 25, I think he's a guy that's going to thrive in high leverage situations. Yeah, I agree with you definitely. Um, you know, he 47 innings last year. Um, you know, I think that my my first thing that I would probably say to him is, you know, you're you're on track. You you're a guy that, you know, last year 47 in the third innings, 55 strikeouts. If I could see you to continue to advance um, you know, that swing and miss rate, that's a guy that could be a valuable bullpen piece. Again, like you said, he's 25. That, you know, that's starting to come into your prime now. So this is the point where you can start to own your stuff. He seems to be a, a you know, a strikeout guy. And, you know, you love to have that in, in high leverage situations, as you mentioned, because you can, you know, when you have, when you come in runners in scoring position, you have the ability to get that swing and miss. It's not going to be potential contact. He's got good enough stuff. So um, I would love to see him be able to, um, you know, reach, uh, reach a, um, you know, a new height so, this year. You, who, when it comes to the rotation for the Padres, who do you see becoming their ace? Obviously, you, we think it's going to be Mackenzie Gore. Do you think Joey Lucchese is going to be a guy that's going to be – who has ace-type stuff? Do you think Eric Lauer has ace-type ace stuff? Do you think Luis Perdomo could get himself on track? Well, I mean, I would love – I think Perdomo certainly has the stuff. I mean, he has the – you know, he throws hard and um, and has wicked movement on his breaking ball. But I think if I'm taking a look at – who's probably going to vie for the starter, obviously uh, the number one starter, obviously while Mackenzie Gore is developing, I'm probably looking at Lucchese or Lauer um, for that role. I think right now, um, and this is just simply based off of the fact that, um, you know, that, <clears throat> excuse me, this is just simply based off of the, uh, this is, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm having a lot of scratchiness in my throat right now. This is just simply based off of the fact that Lucchese had, uh, you know, more innings than, than Lauer last year. I would probably lean toward Lucchese to start. Um, I'll be, I, I think that when Perdomo is right, his stuff is certainly, pl- you know, um, you know, pliable for a number one starter because he has the velocity to be able to do it. You certainly uh, need that to profile a number one for the most part these days. But, you know, I, I right now I'm probably picking between Lucchese and Lauer. I would more than – my gut feeling here is that they're probably going to go with Lucchese. Yeah, against the day. Giants. I think – here's the thing about Lucchese. When he pitches against my Dodgers, he sucks. 
when he pitches against other teams, he seems to pitch well against other teams. Lucchese just doesn't pitch well against the Dodgers. Yeah, and you know what? Um, that That's a thing that I think he certainly needs to work on. Um, you know, one of the things that is – always important for a number one starter you're that stopper but you're certainly that stopper against your division rival that's 100 percent important and you know going forward you know if they want to compete with Machado you're going to have to get that staff right against the Dodgers because that's the team you're going to be running through you know we don't know how long this window um, you know in Colorado is going to last we don't know if you know I, I certainly think they're going to come to a contract extension, but we don't know what's going to happen with uh, Nolan Arenado. We don't know what's going to happen with, you know, with Charlie Blackman. He's now 31 years old on the back end of his career. Um, you know, I, for the next five, six years with that young core, you're going to be running through Los Angeles. You're going to be running through the Dodgers in this, in this division. So, you know, you're certainly going to want to have him, uh, you know, improve his numbers against the Dodgers. Hopefully we can see some uh, some improvement this year from him trending in the right direction. I think when it, last year when I saw one of, when, I, when it comes to the Padres rotation who owned the Dodgers was Eric Lauer. He knows how to pitch against the and – and, I mean, I'm telling you, I do think Eric Lauer owns the Dodgers because he uh, – because uh, – because what I was going to say about Eric Lauer is that he, he pitched well against the Dodgers, and he, he has their number when it comes to Eric Lauer pitching against the Dodgers. Yeah, and you know what? That may have him, you know, create some sort of an edge uh, in this rotation. Um, you know, I, I, you know, listen, I haven't watched a whole ton of Eric Lauer, so I can't really, I, I can't really give you a whole lot about Eric Lauer, but I will, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough for me just because, you know, I, as a Mets fan, I don't have a whole ton of exposure uh, to the San Diego Padres. So I can't give you like a full breakdown as far as, you know, what type of guys these guys are, you know, with, um, you know, guts on the mound, their ability to, you know, pitch out of innings, their pitch ability, you know, their, their stuff and things like that. But um, I, I would say if I'm taking a look at two candidates, um, you know, for the top of this rotation for the Dodgers, um, excuse me, for the San Diego Padres. Here's, here's what I bring it down to. Obviously you're going to want to talk about stuff, right? But the main thing that you want to develop in an ACE is a guy who can go out and beat the number one team in your division. So if Lauer has more of an ability to do that on a, you know, on a regular basis against Los Angeles Dodgers, then as far as I'm concerned, he's your ACE. You know, if you're basing it solely off of that. Yeah, you said LaCasey's going to start opening day. I, I think Eric Lauer is going to be that number two ace, and I think San Diego's not going to have a rotation full of lefties. They're going to have some righties, some right-handed arms in their rotation too. Yeah, they need to find that balance in their rotation, um, you know, especially because of the fact that you're going to end up bringing up Mackenzie Gore sometime within the next year. So, you know, you don't want to have too heavy of a rotation. Um, you know, certain, you know, certainly as far as the, uh, the San Diego Padres are concerned, you know, you're, you're pretty much, um, you know, being on Mackenzie Gore and that's okay. Uh, you know, because Mackenzie Gore, I think is going to end up being a transformational talent, but, um, you know, if they can, if they can manage to get Luis Perdomo, right, I think that will certainly help them, um, 
you know, one guy that I take a look at that could be kind of a sleeper in this rotation uh, and I think fits in nicely at the number four probably is Jacob Nix. He's a young guy. I think he's, I think he's about 23, 24. And, you know, hopefully oh, yeah. probably and, is a back And there's another sleeper, Chris Paddock. He, he should be in the rotation. Chris pa- oh, yeah, yeah. He definitely round out Chris the rotation Paddock. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to Chris Paddock. I yeah, if I'm expe- you know, if I'm expecting what they if I'm thinking about what they're going to do, which is probably they're going to have Perdomo in the bullpen. I I would think that their rotation and you can tinker with the top 2 any way that you like. I I think that it's probably going to end up being something like Lucchese, Lauer, Erlen, Nix and then um <clears throat> excuse me. And then probably um Paddock and then Paddock at the number five. Or, I think you know, Nick's Nick's at the, the five, four, Paddock at the Paddock four, whatever the you five, feel like and doing. Then Lucchese, I think Lauer will be one, then Lucchese two, and I think Robert Erlen will be number three. Yeah, Erlen definitely slides in at the three for me. It's just yeah, about tinkering that, the one and two and the four and five. How you see and I was going to tell you before we talk about the Brewers revised lineup, I yeah. heard that the the Rockies plan on playing Ian Stewart, Ian Desmond at center field. And in, uh, and then you put Charlie Blackman in right. And then you put David Dolan left. And, uh, but the second base spot, um, uh, I don't see Ryan McMahon starting there. I see that. I see, I see, uh, Brandon Rogers batting eighth and playing second base for the, uh, for the, uh, Colorado Rockies now. Really? Wow. Okay. And you know, I would love to see Brendan Rodgers at the big league level. I think that he is, you know, he, he's a tremendous prospect and, you know, certainly you hope you would love to see him make a, you know, a quick transition into replacing DJ LeMahieu. Um, you know, I, I just, my belief is that maybe they'll give, they'll give him at least probably up until like August of seasoning. That's just my expectation. I'd love to see him up early. I think he's a tremendous offensive weapon for them um, that could develop to be even better than what LeMayhew was. Um, we'll just have to see how they want to handle yeah, him and so certainly now how he plays uh, in spring training. Colorado Rockies, I have uh, Charlie Blackman leading off and playing right field. Then I have the two, three, and the four hitters remain the same with Story, Dole, and uh, and Arenado, and then the five hitters, Daniel Murphy, and then I have Ian Desmond batting sixth and playing uh, center field with Chris Ionetta batting seventh, and then obviously at second base, batting eighth will be uh, Brendan Rogers. Yeah, I like that lineup for me personally, just because of the power effect. I probably would switch Dahl and Story, um, just because I see. You know, story with, you know, with his power and with his ability to drive the ball and, you know, drive in runs. I see him being a th- profiling a little bit more of as a three hitter, whereas Dahl is I, I find him to be much more of a pure hitter and an upper in the order, you know, a higher in the order type guy than story is. So my only thing is I would switch yeah, those I, two I, around. I, but other than that, I like your lineup. Story batting second is because I think story could fill in the void that LeMay you had in the number two hole. That's why I see Trevor Story batting second behind Charlie Blackman and and the left-right left combo. And it's already official that Charlie Blackman's moving to right field. I just don't see Ryan McMahon starting at second. He's going to be their first baseman of the future, though. 
No, I definitely agree with you. But, you know, you have to put, you know, obviously Brendan Rodgers, if he comes up, that's a high-end prospect. You're going to want to play him. And, you know, you're going to keep Daniel Murphy in the lineup, you know, with, with, you know, with his addition because he's such an unbelievable offensive player. Um, so, you know, you're going to end up starting him at first base. It's just interesting because I would think that, you know, with the fact that he's been such an excellent defender out in center field, I, I would have just expected them to put Blackman in center. And then we talked about having some sort of combination of, you know, either Desmond at second and Murphy yeah, at first or, or Desmond at first point. and Murphy Since at second. Murphy has had injury history last year and they are kind of worried about his uh, ability to play second base. I think, I think having Daniel Murphy play first base is safer. I, I think it does make sense. Um, you know, as a Mets fan, I can tell you that he's certainly not the best uh, defensive uh, middle infielder that I've ever seen. You know, he has the ability to make the spectacular play, certainly. But, um, you know, he's a guy who, who's not overly rangy. And, you know, he kind of he, he kind of takes his eye off the ball a lot of times in the infield. He muffs some of the easy plays. Um, so I think putting him at first as opposed to second is, is you know, the right decision, certainly. I just, you know, I, I take a look at that outfield spot. And, you know, Charlie Blackman has been an elite defensive center fielder over the last couple of years. So it's just an interesting move to me. I understand the logic behind it. I, I just, you know, especially if you're going to slide Brendan Rodgers in the lineup and put him at second base. Yeah, but, but I, um, now you, you know, know I, Charlie, I just find I that interesting. Blackman in center, but I heard that the, that the Rockies are moving Charlie Blackman to right field. Then you start Ian Desmond in center. And then in left field, you start David Dahl. And I do believe that now with that, now with that thinking, it's kind of making me think that they, the Rockies should just go ahead and uh, start Brennan Rodgers at second. And like what you said earlier about – and like we talked about before, you see the Rockies now extending Nolan Arenado. They extended Blackman last year. Do you see the Rockies now extending Arenado? Well, I think they have to. And, you know, obviously you're going to have to work the – um, you know, the, the salaries kind of, however you need to, to fit your cap space. But, you know, listen, when you have a, when you have a top five talent at any position on your roster at, for as young of an age as Arenado is, you need to sign them because we don't know how long this window is going to be able to last for Colorado. And, you know, certainly you're not going to be able to break through for anything if you're, you know, if you're the Rockies, if you don't sign Arenado, because now on top of the fact that, you know, they have Arenado's story is, is turning into a 30-35 home run guy. Um, you know, you're going to have Brennan Rodgers up, like you mentioned. Um, you know, you, you bring in a guy like Murphy to help with more reinforcements in that lineup. But now their pitching is starting to come along. Kyle Freeland is turned into a high-end guy. Herman Marquez certainly has that type of stuff. You know, I, I'd like to see a, a bounce back year from John Gray. And they have, they certainly have the bullpen arms. It's just a matter of consistency for them. But they right now have a team that can legitimately compete for a playoff spot. So if you want to be able to keep that window open for his, you know, with and, and kind of keep that young core together of, of, you know, um, story and, and, Arenado and what I think will eventually fit Brendan Rodgers and, and then obviously David Dahl, you, yeah, you got to keep them. You got to be able to have that number one superstar force that can I, fight I, with the I'm Dodgers at the top of that, that the at the top of that division. Give Nolan Arenado a contract extension before the season starts because I just don't see the Rockies letting him go. 
No, it only it, they can't let him go. It only makes it makes too much sense for them to keep him because there are a number of teams that I can think of, and you know, I they are certainly way too damn cheap to be able to do this. But I, I think about the Mets. You know, they are that's a team that has so much that in the past has been linked to having a ton of interest in Nolan Arenado. But, you know, there are a number of teams that that would obviously vie for Arenado, you know, I, I'm, and this is just, and this is just me, you know, throwing stuff out there and, and, and speculating, but you know, one team in that comes to mind for me that may want to up, you know, may want to think about signing him just eventually is, is, is Milwaukee, you know, because, you know, you're only bringing back the on that, on that one year deal. And, um, you know, I, I, I think Travis Shaw is going to eventually probably profile into more of a first baseman. Um, so I, and I don't know what, I don't think they have much in their minor league system as far as third base depth is concerned. So that might be a, a landing spot for him, but you got to resign him. He's a top five talent in his position in this league. You got to, he's an MVP candidate. You can't when let I look MVP at, when candidates I, when I'm in the head walk of in Major Babbage, League Baseball. The, manager, the general manager of the Colorado Rockies. I do believe that he's going to make the right choice and keep Nolan Arenado because he's their franchise guy. Yeah, he's you know he is officially he he is officially prob I I would call him a top ten position player in the league. I have no problem with saying that he's a top ten position player in the league. He's obviously the best defensive third baseman in baseball, and you know he's a guy that can put up MVP numbers. And he's a, you know, when you have that, I don't care what sport it is. When you talk about, you know, whether it's football, NBA, you know, the NBA, baseball, I don't care what it is. When you have a generational type of talent who is a two-way talent, an MVP caliber player, a likable player, he's a marketable player, he's a face of the franchise guy, he's not a locker room problem, he's a leader. When you have a guy who embodies all of those things, you have to be an idiot not to re-sign him. I, I think I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mentioned that my idea for, you know, re-signing Arenado is probably something around seven yeah, years, Rock, maybe $240 million. It really helped increase their chances of keeping Nolan Arenado. That was, for, that was the fact right there. Yeah, and you know what? Even though that's a big loss, you know, losing a, a batting champ like DJ, you know, like DJ LeMahieu, if you know if that allows them to be able to go out and you know f- have free cap space to be able to give Nolan Arenado the contract that he deserves, then I'm all for it. So you know, Arenado is a top ten player in this league, and you know, I, I think the so I think the Colorado Rockies know what the right the decision Milwaukee is. Brewers, now that uh, Mike Mustakis is here, now back, I have Mustakis batting fourth behind Ryan Braun and uh and then I have Travis Shaw moving to the sixth spot hitting for him to hit behind Jesus Aguilar I actually like that a lot now it's interesting um what's very interesting there's a couple of tweets that I've read and one of them was a reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and um just just a quick question before I before I bring this up as far as positionally goes where do you have Mustakis and, and Shaw and lined up Travis in the Shaw going to second with Hernan Perez being the guy like a Kike Hernandez playing all over the place okay now it's it's funny you should say that because the reason why I bring that up is because I read a report from a 
from a, a guy who covers the Milwaukee Brewers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that says that over the course of spring training, or at least the first half of it, Mike Boustakis will be playing at second and will be trying out second base. Now, I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll work there. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think that playing third base for as long as he has, I don't think that he has the range to be able to play second and be able to turn double plays in that way. But I did read multiple reports from sources that they are trying him at second. He's a big guy, and he is better off at playing third base. He makes very good plays at third base. Don't try Moustakas at second. I think Craig Council just doesn't know what he's doing with him. Yeah, I think it's a I, I think it's an incredibly interesting experiment. Um, obviously, you're going to have to find a way to put Shaw and and Moustak is both in the lineup at the same time, and you don't want to put one of them at first base because you don't want to ha- compromise having uh, Jesus Aguilar out of the lineup. He's a big power bat that you need. So I, you know, I, I agree with you that I think it's going to end up being Moustak at third base and Shaw at second base. But I just wanted to bring that up just because I've seen multiple reports. Um, confirmed yeah, that that and, is indeed have, happening the over the course of spring the training. Pretty much the same with Kane and Yelich and Braun as your first three guys in the order. And then I have Grandal hitting seventh now. And then I have Arcia batting eighth. Yeah, I like that so lineup that a lot. Said, I do. I like that I'm lineup gonna, a lot. I'm going to tell you that now that I have the umpire crews listed on my computer, Angel Hernandez is now on Dana DeMuth's crew. And, uh, Trust me, Angel Hernandez is going to screw it up again when it comes to breaking down our umpiring crew this year. Oh, boy. Oh, Lord. Angel Hernandez. I mean, it's just... It's just interesting that even Major League Baseball can't seem to recognize the... And this is putting it about as nice as a human being can put. The mediocrity that we've seen out of Angel Hernandez, especially over the last few years as he's gotten older. I mean, my God, it's it's just horrible. And, you know, I, I would think certainly. OK, yeah. here's an interesting point. You talk about pace of play, right? One of the one of the things that slows down the pace of play is when umpires get these calls wrong, like these umpires get the calls wrong, then you have to review the play. And typically that takes probably about two minutes, maybe more, depending on how bang, bang of a play is. But the worse of an umpire you have, the more often you're going to have to sit there and waste time reviewing these plays. So if I'm Major League Baseball, I'm cutting out the lower-rated umpires and I'm continuing to, uh, continuing to circulate in new umpires because even though that's kind of a minor detail that a lot of people might overlook – that certainly impacts pace of oh, play absolutely. in Major League Baseball more than a I lot of people I agree with think. what CeCe Sabathia said about Angel Hernandez, although CeCe Sabathia is retiring. And uh, I think I agree. Angel Hernandez needs to stay away from playoff games. And I agree. He's a waste of time, atrociously oh, bad. And every time when I see him behind the plate for Dodger games, I get sick to my stomach seeing him behind the plate calling balls and strikes. He has no idea what a strike zone is. No, he, I, I honestly think that, you know, he, he kind of just walks back there on a particular day and just kind of goes on the fly. You know, to me, it, it, it changes, um, you know, whenever he's back there and, you know, when, when he's in the field, which is mostly how I've seen him, he is just horrendously inconsistent. He seems to really have no feel for timing. 
uh, out there, especially on bang, bang plays to first. Um, so, you know, to me, it, it just doesn't make sense to keep them. I, I, you know, I think they sort of just do these things and keep these kind of mediocre guys just because of the level of experience. I think it might, I, I think major league baseball's thinking is, is if we rotate out these older experienced umpires and put in new ones and the newer umpires aren't necessarily clicking right away, they'll, you know, They'll, they'll kind of look at Major League Baseball funny and be like, well, why did you take out the experienced guys? Well, the experienced guys Absolutely. Suck. Angel I mean, Hernandez is terrible. I'm like, heading into this season, I'm like, can Angel Hernandez just retire already? Because so that we could just move on with our lives. Because I'm just tired of seeing him out there on the field, especially when he it gets assigned to Dodger games, which I get, I get, I get, I get upset when he gets, assigned to Dodger games. And uh, I know he's a, he's worked at plenty of Mets games before. And do you, when as a Mets fan yourself, and if Angel Hernandez is behind the plate for a Mets game, do you get sick to your stomach when he's working behind the plate for a Mets game at City Field? I get sick to my stomach whether he's working behind the plate, whether he's in the field, or if he's in the general area of the ballpark. I mean, it's just because you know on that particular day you're going to have to battle some sort of random crap that is going to completely change the momentum in the game out of your favor. Um, and it's just it, – it pisses me off, quite frankly. And, and let me tell you something. The moment that this man retires, Major League Baseball fans everywhere, if rejoice, stop what you're doing. Let's all throw a national parade, you know, because Absolutely. this dude is a I bona fide a party on the streets of, of my hometown of Burbank, California, once Angel Hernandez is retired. And everybody would be like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Major League Baseball. Angel Hernandez is retiring. But – not only him, he should retire. C.B. Buckner should retire, too. Oh, God. Oh, don't even get me started on C.B. Buckner. I once saw a game that he called. Um, I be- if I'm remembering this correctly, it was, it was Mets versus D-backs. And I remember, it so fr- I remember it so distinctly because I remember Steven Matz was pitching that day. But it was also the day... Uh, and I believe it, w- it was either last year or two years ago. It was the day when Michael Conforto dislocated his shoulder while swinging. I was sitting, I was sitting on the third base side, and I saw him. Uh, I was maybe about 10 rows back from the third base dugout, and I saw his like, shoulder kind of get all messed up. It was really gross. But I remember it distinctly that day because I remember watching C.B. Buckner and just seeing that strike zone just continue to change. Over the course of the game, it, you know, it, it would just float where, you know, he would give you the outside, you know, he would give you the black of the outside corner. Then one moment he would change that. Then he would go back to the outside corner, but he would take it maybe three balls outside further. So he would give you that strike along the chalk on the outside part of the plate. It, it was just like, I just don't understand it. Like the lack of consistency on a strike zone, that's what you're supposed to be. That's what you're being paid to do. Now, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's easy to be able to read, you know, 95 plus mile an hour fastballs on an everyday basis. But by God, like he's been doing you're a professional for a umpire and for a reason. Let, thank goodness that last year I saw a Dodger game with CB Buckner. He was on the field. And thank you. And, and I was like, Thank goodness he didn't work behind the plate in in that in one of those Dodgers Padres games. He worked the field, not behind the plate. If he were behind the plate at a Dodger game, I would want to throw up and yell at him badly. 
Oh, no. It, it's, oh, my God, it's terrible. Plus, the other thing I don't like yeah, about him CB is that Buckner he's incredibly is arrogant. arrogant. Guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I saw a highlight, Bill, about when he reversed a, a strike call on the when the Nationals were playing the Braves. And that shows how bad he is behind the plate. And he doesn't know if the ball went off the bat. Ah, uh, no, it's it's atrocious, and um, oh my god, you know, I, I can just remember a number of games where it's it, it's just it's a floating strike zone. It literally is the box move. It's it's almost like when it's like in a game where it's like Tetris, where you're taking the block and you're like moving it and kind of shifting it to sort of fit a certain shape. Picture that where you're moving it and like fitting it different ways. But picture that as CB Buckner strike zone over the course of a nine inning ball game per every single lap. Every time I look at it, and that's pretty much essentially what you're working with here. All the calls, all the balls were way outside the zone and he would call it strike three. And that's not good umpiring right there. And CB Buckner strike zone is atrociously bad. And I don't, it's a terrible strike zone that CB Buckner has. It's all over the place. Oh, it's awful. And the worst part about it is that you're taking the bats out of these guys' hands. I mean, you know, how is somebody expl- – I don't care if you're – I don't care if you're the third guy. I don't care if you're the, the, the sixth infielder on a 25-man roster or if you're Albert, Pujol, Albert Pujols in his prime with the St. Louis Cardinals. How in the world are you going to expect any person on the planet – to hit a backdoor two-seamer that ends up five inches off of the plate, and you call that a strike. How am I supposed to get my bat out there to hit that? At the most, I'll foul tip it with, with the you know with the knob of my bat. Like what in the like? It just doesn't make any sense. Like I look at his strike zone. It's like, dude, you're a professional umpire, and there are like him and Angel Hernandez are the reason why I'm starting to believe that yeah, we should absolutely. maybe begin to move to strike automated strike. When it comes to both CB Buckner and uh, Angel Hernandez, another guy. That that I'm also sick sick to my stomach watching behind the plate is Joe West. Oh goodness! You know what? The I, I mentioned this at a time before. The only thing I'll give Joe West credit for is in a playoff game he once called 99 of of pitches correct as far as their placement in or out of the strike zone is concerned. But other than that, I mean. Dear God, he's bad. The only thing that I find remotely entertaining about him is that him and Madison Baumgartner over the last few years have had like this ongoing like feud. It's like a mini series feud between Madison Baumgartner and, and Joe West, and I find that really hilarious. But like other than that, he's got he's Joe just, West is off, he's obviously atrocious. Outrageously too, atrocious. Into the 2019 season, Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner, and Marty Foster are the worst umpires in the game right now. With Marty Foster, I've seen him. I could not agree with you Dodger more. Games, and he is obvi- he's awful because there was a there was a call when Adrian Gonzalez didn't like. He yelled at Marty Foster because the, the pitch that Swing One O threw was out was a little outside the zone, and then Grandal was also upset with Marty Foster, and Marty Foster's a jerk. Uh, yeah, Marty Foster is is just you know, for lack of a better term, Marty Foster is just an asshole. And, you know, there he's another thing that I don't really love about Marty Foster is that he's got an incredibly, incredibly quick trigger. You know, he, he's not a guy that, you know, and 
listen, as an umpire, I understand not taking a lot of crap from people, but like there's a difference between not taking crap and having a really, really quick hook. There was a game in particular that I remember um, when he was behind the plate for the Mets. Um, it, it was the Mets versus the Nationals, and they were away at Nationals Park. And uh, Anthony Rendon was at the plate. And there was, there was a check swing call. And there was a strike call that Anthony Rendon didn't like. And he didn't, he didn't say anything. He didn't look back at Marty Foster. He didn't, like, slam his bat. He kind of just, like, flipped it, I guess, for lack of – like, he just kind of took it by the knob and just, like, flipped it over. And Marty Foster ejected him. Like, he didn't say – and, again, he didn't say anything. Rendon didn't flip out. He didn't scream at Marty Foster. He didn't, you know, you know how guys like to, you know, kind of put a line in the sand as to where the ball crossed the plate. He didn't really do any of that. He kind of just flipped his bat over on the plate and Marty Foster ejected him. And it was one of the, it, it was yeah, honestly one of the weirdest David things Martin I've ever seen an umpire do. And, uh, speaking of the Nationals, we're going to talk about them next week and what, what's in store for the Nationals. And if they're going to be, if and like speaking of the Nationals, I do think with or without Harper, this Nationals team is in great hands. Oh, no, they really are. And they're going to be able to compete. And, you know, one guy I'm really interested to continue to see grow is is Juan Soto. I mean, that dude is an unbelievable talent. And then, obviously, we'll get to see Victor Robles next year make an impact, uh, this year make an impact in this lineup. And, um, you know, it's just interesting to see the direction that they're going to go in now without Bryce Harper, you know, I, you know, I, I've mentioned this a couple times before that I, you know, that relationship with Harper has plateaued. I think where they were able to get to um, was as far as they were going to get. Now it's incredibly disappointing because there's been multiple times when they had Bryce Harper, where I looked at that as the best roster in all of baseball and they just weren't able to get over the hump. But, you know, now they signed Patrick Corbin to a big contract. Um, You know, they, 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 um, you know, they, they trade away Tanner Roark, obviously in that rotation. Now they don't have Harper. Um, you know, they're going to have Victor Robles up for a full season. So we'll, we'll see how everything goes, but I mean, oh, obviously they're we'll, still going to we'll be address, able to we'll, compete next in the week national on our podcast. We'll be, we're going to have fun talking about the Washington nationals and the, your, your, your arch division rival in the Atlanta Braves. Uh, well, it's going to be fun to talk about them. They're, they're going to be just as good as they were last year. I feel like this is still their division. And I, I'm even though he's going to continue to, to probably break my heart, I can't wait to continue <laughs> yeah, seeing more of Ronald Acuna. The reigning rookie of the year. He's too good to have a sophomore slump. Oh, he's amazing. And, you know, it, what what's incredible to me is that he he's a relatively small guy for his size, but he's got such big power and and what's really a, a compact swing of his. He's got such a pretty swing, but you know the way that he's able to get such you know a generation of power and backspin off that swing is is just tremendous. And you know he's going to continue to make me frustrated for the next ten years or so. Him and uh, on the Braves, uh, I'll tell you I'm my favorite players on the Braves before we uh, move on to talk about the previews of the Reds and Pirates 2019 season. So on the Braves, my favorites are Ronald Acuna Jr., obviously Freddie Freeman, who's the cornerstone of that franchise, and then um, I also like uh, and I, I also I'm a huge Ender Enciarte fan. 
Oh, Ender Enciarte, I think, is one of the more underrated players in baseball all around. And, um, you know, you talk about Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman really came into his own as, you know, as, as a team leader last year. We always knew he could hit. We always knew he was a gold glove, you know, a potential guy. But, um, you know, he, he really kind of put it together as far as bringing, you know, an MVP caliber presence to a lineup. Um, and I think he's just going to continue to be able to do that. Obviously, having Acuna and, uh, you know, and, and Albies in that lineup certainly helps along with Inciarte. And now they have Josh Donaldson in there. So that certainly brings them a nice big, uh, big power bat in that lineup. But um, if, going forward, I expect Freddie Freeman to be he's already less like than a National League MVP candidate every single year. Josh Donaldson adding him to the lineup of the Braves is really going to help help them get over the hump for sure. And uh, a guy who I think I believe needs to get going is Dansby Swanson. Yeah, Dansby is, you know, Dansby is a guy that has had the potential offensively. Um, you know, obviously a really short, compact swing. He's obviously a very, very good defender. That's that has been, you know, the number one trait since college for him. We've known this, but um, you know, for me, I think he needs to just. He, I, I think he needs to just come into his own as a hitter. You know, take pressure off of himself. Um, obviously, he's that number one pick. Uh, from you know a, a few years ago, so there's still some hype for him to live up to. But he's a still he's still a very solid young player, and you know now with Donaldson in, you know that that's another veteran yeah, presence sure. that so now we is just going to be able to help him grow. And today, um, before we get to the Reds and Pirates 2019 seasons, tell me your thoughts on Josh Donaldson going to the Detroit Tigers. I think that's a good move for him, for him and the Tigers. I think Josh Donaldson will be that good. Josh Harrison, I think, will be that good veteran presence for this young Tigers team. And in a few weeks, after we wrap up the National League talk, we're going to move on to the American League. Yeah, and, you know, it's a, it's a good it's a good deal for both teams because, you know, you get him in there on a one-year deal. It's a good deal for both sides because Harrison, I, I'm going to be honest, I thought, there, I thought there should have been a bigger market for a guy like Josh Harrison, who's a guy that can play multiple positions in the infield and in the outfield. Um, you know, he's a dude that he hits for good gap power. He's a 15 home run type of guy. And, you know, he's very versatile throughout your order. I thought the market was going to be a little bit bigger for him, but you bring him into Detroit where, you know, what? not a whole lot of expectations, obviously. So he's just going to be able to go out there, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, get at bats on an everyday basis. He'll be able to ball and, you know, hopefully play for a bigger role next year. But um, good signing for the Tigers. Obviously, they're not going anywhere. So you bring in a guy, a veteran presence like him to kind of, you know, show people the ropes, get some continuity in that locker room, hopefully. And, you know, obviously, he's he's a, a wonderful guy. He's been publicized as such. And, um, you know, I, I hope every – I. I think that's going to work out for them very well. I like that move. It was kind of an under-the-radar move. Again, like I said, I think his market should have been a little bit bigger because of oh, the yeah, type absolutely. of player that he is, but a, a good move nonetheless. The and then you have – I don't know who's going to start at first for the Tigers because I kind of feel like now that Victor Martinez retired, I kind of think Miguel Cabrera should be the primary DH for the Detroit Tigers. Well, I, I I could not agree with you more, especially because of the fact now we're starting to see some, um, you know, injuries that are starting to eat away at Miguel Cabrera. I think it's important for, um, for him to, 
be out of the field as much as humanly possible, focus on, um, you know, swinging the bat every day and, and keeping him healthy. Um, you know, if I'm taking a look at Detroit right now, I would have to say that, you know, it's, it's a young team. Um, I, I, I would think that right now John Hicks would probably be their first baseman. He's also a, a guy who's a viable um, option for their backup catcher. But um, for me, you know, Miguel's getting older. His body's starting to wear down even more. So, you know, you got to put him at the DH position. You know, it's like moving it's like moving a catcher from behind the plate to first base. You know, you got to find yeah, a but way to extend in. his career and make the most the out of the back we'll end of his contract. We'll talk about a little bit briefly, but we'll preview their season in, in the weeks to come. But talk about their best players right now. Nick Castellanos and Michael Fulmer. Oh, yeah, those are two guys that they need to continue to build around. Fulmer is a guy that I, you know, I obviously have a – have a little bit of a emotional connection to. I mean, that's the that's the man that brought me Yoenis Cespedes for that 2015 World Series run. Um, lights out electric stuff. You know, big time arm from the right side. Who's a guy? You know, he's a guy that's gonna, um, you know, that they're gonna continue to try to build around. Um, and then you talk about Nick Castellanos. He's a guy that for me kind of broke out last year. Um, you know, they had him kind of flutter between third base and right field over the first few years of his career. You know, they didn't really know where they were going to use him. You know, the, you didn't know how that power was going to develop. But he he certainly has come around. And, um, you know, he's a guy for me that I, I think is going to end up being the centerpiece for their rebuild. Um, you know, I, a, a young guy that I really like to go along with him. Um, I'm a big Jacoby Jones guy uh, in, in center field. And, um, you know, Heimer Condelario is a guy that maybe is going to come into his own for them this year. Relatively young dude, age 25. Um, you know, so we'll li- – listen, obviously, like we mentioned, they're, they're not going anywhere. So right now this is just a tinker period for them. Um, and also one more guy I forgot to mention that I like also is Shane Green. Um, oh, as absolutely. As their closer. Shane he certainly has come into his own in that role. Joe Jimenez was an all-star. But when it comes for me, who my favorite player is on the Detroit Tigers – I'm I'm I've always been a I've always been a Miguel Cabrera fan always. Miguel Cabrera has been one of my favorite hitters to watch, and um, you know I, I remember I, I just remember being in awe of him the year that he won the triple crown. I mean, I, I had never seen anything like that in, in in my lifetime. Obviously, I've been able to watch some you know obviously incredible things. You know, Mariano Rivera's six hundredth save. I was you know we we're alive for obviously, and um, you know multiple players like Pujols and and Alex Rodriguez getting to their six hundredth home run and and you know et cetera et cetera. But as far as pure hitters, Miguel Cabrera is up there without oh, Pujols for me. But He's one of the best that I've ever personally seen. Two thousand nineteen seasons. We want to reflect on some people we lost in the last two weeks. One of them is former Dodger Don Newcomb and also Frank Robinson, who was part of baseball's color barrier. So our thoughts and prayers go out to them and to their families. Absolutely. Two, uh, you know, two of obviously the best players in the game, you know, during their time uh, in the game and, and two guys that, you know, really trailblazed, you know, they, uh, obviously Don Newcomb was a guy who played in the Negro leagues and, you know, he was really kind of, uh, you know, seen as the first high profile black pitcher in the major leagues and obviously a, an unbelievable one. And, um, you know, Frank Robinson was a guy who, you know, the first, uh, you know, one of the 
pioneers as far as getting African-Americans the opportunity to be managers at the major league level and then one of the greatest uh, uh, hitters of, of, you know, the, of the 1900s. So, you know, I'm, like you said, thoughts and prayers Absolutely, out to families. Great sure. men and, and great before, baseball players. Before we talk about the Reds and Pirates 2019 season, our question of the day is, which first-year manager are, is going to thrive in their first year with their ball club? Is it David Bell? Is it Charlie Montoyo? Is it Rocco Baldelli? Or is it Brandon Hyde? Oof, and that is a wonderful question that you have there. Um, listen, I'm not going to – this is going to be bold. I think Rocco Bell – I think Rocco Baldelli has a good chance – to, to do some things. Now, listen, I don't think that the twins are going to, you know, m- make the playoffs by any stretch of the imagination. That That's not what I'm saying. But they have a chance to be much better than they were last year. You bring in a guy like a Nelson Cruz, obviously, who is, you know, uh, uh, one of the best power hitting bats in the game. You know, you'll have another year of Jose Barrios, who is just unbelievable. Um, you know, they go out and they sign Jonathan Scope, a good power bat. Uh, I like the addition of CJ Crone as well in that lineup. And, you know, hopefully Byron Buxton and Eddie Rosario continue to grow. Now, I think one guy that's really important for them Absolutely. is you got to have a better year out of Miguel Sano. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, he has to bounce back for them because he's such a big anchor in that lineup. Yeah, that was so was the unbelievably disappointing, disappointing for, the for them last year. Miguel Sano is a guy that has off the field trouble. And, I mean, he can't bring. He can't keep that in his head. He's gotta. He's gotta bounce back. He's gotta play baseball the way it's supposed to be played. And I know he can because Miguel Sano is a very good anchor to this lineup when it comes to the Twins. And you do. I could agree with Rocco Baldelli doing really good things for the Minnesota Twins this year. Yeah, I, I think he certainly has the roster to do it. And you know, as far as Miguel Sano is concerned. This is the year where, you know, you, you got to get back to the grind. You know, you got to be able to, to, you know, just block out your personal life and, and, and get back in and become serious again about your job. Because I, I hate to say it, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's either a trade candidate or they, they could even release him. I mean, it's disappointing to say, but he was so bad last year and, and let so many things affect him off the field that yeah, he you know, hopefully Rocco Baldelli is able to get to him this year. year. But Miguel Sano is by far one of my favorite players on the Minnesota Twins, but I also like Max Kepler and a guy you mentioned is Jose Barrios. Jose Barrios has electric stuff and I think he's going to continue to develop into that into that ace pitcher and um, you know, he, he's one of my favorite guys to watch. Certainly a guy that obviously because he's with the twins flies so far under the radar, but, um, you know, they don't have a half bad rotation this year. I gotta say, you know, they have guys with experience, uh, you know, uh, Jake Odorizzi, um, Kyle Gibson, Martin Perez. I didn't even realize that they got Mike, Pen- uh, Michael Pineda, um, who kind of just dropped off the face of the earth for me. Um, but you know, they, they don't have a half bad roster this year. I got to say they have some guys that are going to be able to compete. Now, obviously outside of Cleveland, this division is pretty much wide open and, you know, maybe if they get their, you know, if they get everything together, they could have a possible shot. Uh, I think at so. Like a wild card spot. So twins. we'll see. One year they're good. And then one year they're bad. I kind of want to see the twins sustain the consistency. 
I do too. I do too. And it definitely, you know, it, it starts with getting these, it starts with getting these young guys to continue to get on the track that they're on. Eddie Rosario is turning into a really nice outfielder. Um, Byron Buxton starting to come around offensively. We knew about his defensive ability. You mentioned Max Kepler. I think he's going to turn into a really, really nice player for them. Uh, borderline all-star guy. And then, you know, you bring in these guys, you know, the Jason Castros and, and, you know, CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, um, Nelson Cruz, they're, they're power guys and, and, you know, in a bigger ballpark who, you know, have that, have that big league experience under their belt. Um, you know, obviously Scope has been on, you know, Scope and Cruz have, have been on playoff teams. So they know what it takes and, you know, they can bring in that, that, you know, sort of veteran presences in this culture that can hopefully help yeah, first I year thought, uh, manager Paul Rocco Baldelli take him the over tw- the hump. For the twins, but I didn't think that was a fit after all when it comes when it came to Paul Molitor. No, and you know, Paul Molitor is gonna get other jobs around baseball. There's no disputing that. But I, I think oh you know, it just it, it's weird because he took a team that constructed as they were you know, to a, a wild card round. And then, you know, they just completely fell flat on their face. And, I, you know, when I see that as, you know, as a front office, I, I just think that, you know, for me, it just looks like that they kind of quit on them. And, you know, once that happens, that's when you immediately as yeah, an I organization have to get that guy out and put a new face in Charlie Montoya is going to do great things for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, well, it, it's interesting because, you know, he's going to have some really, really nice pieces to work with. Um, I, you know, having Marcus Stroman back for a full year is going to be really important. Um, obviously they're going to have, uh, well, I, I can't speak for them because I think they should have them up there, but they're going to, you know, be able to have ax, uh, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Up for a full season. Um, they have some really interesting pieces. I, I don't think they're going to be able to compete for, you know, their division, obviously with, you know, the stacked and how it is up at the top with, um, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees in the Rays. But I, I think they'll be better than last year. Again, like I said, they're going to have Stroman healthy. Um, you have Kendry's Morales back at the DH, Justin Smoke back at first base. Um, Lords Guriel, who I think is a really, really nice young player. And then obviously you bring up, uh, you know, um, um, you, you bring up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then Aaron Sanchez uh, as the number two in that rotation. So they have some decent talent on this team. Um, I, I don't have super high expectations for the Blue Jays. I think they'll probably finish somewhere around uh, somewhere around 500. I see them as like an 82 and 80 type of team, but First year for Charlie Montoya with a you know a roster that's kind of in a, a little bit. Yeah, of a, I think I think a, the Blue Jays like phase. I agree. That's They're going to be eighty two and eighty. And like we talked about before, when we first started, I do I do predict that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be the starting third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think he should be the starting third baseman, but the Blue Jays are probably going to end up doing with him. Uh, the same thing that the Cubs did with Chris Bryant, which is they're going to leave him down in the minor leagues for the first 13 days. So that way they can get that extra year of control on his contract and then go ahead and bring him up, which I think is an incredibly um, stupid rule, uh, just simply because of the fact whether you leave him down there for 13 days or not, if he's a great player, you're going to end up having to re-sign him anyway, whether you have one year of control or not. So 
Um, I, as far as that rule is concerned, I think it's incredibly stupid. But at, at some point this year, whether it is opening day or after that 13-day period, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will take over the third base position it's not and will unanimously win the American, the American League Rookie of the Year. We talked about this when we first started. Uh, I think who will to challenge Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is someone from the White Sox who I think I'm really high on is Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, I think, and that's probably going to end up being his only competition as far as that's concerned. I think that as far as I'm concerned, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to win the American League Rookie of the Year unanimously, and I think Eloy Jimenez has a shot to maybe get one vote for first place. That is probably about it. I think it's a stupid rule that you leave him for 13 days in AAA. I just think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to show everybody in spring training why he's going to be their starting third baseman on opening day. He's going to he's going to show it with his glove and also with his bat. That's why I, I, I expect Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be in the opening day lineup for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean, he is too good to leave down in the minor leagues for that extra 13 days. I don't care if you get that one year of control. Um, and, you know, and, and like I mentioned, if he, you know, when he turns out to be as amazing as I think he will, you're going to end up wanting to extend him to a long term deal anyway. Yeah, so it doesn't for sure. So, but you, have that one extra you agree year with control. me that you think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be the opening day third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays? I don't the and I I don't agree just because of the fact that I think that the Blue Jays are going to end up exercising that 13 day option, but I do agree that he should be the opening day third baseman because it makes no sense to to leave him down there in the minor leagues for 13 days. Like for what? You know, he's already a big league caliber player, and he's going to end up being a superstar. So why you know bring him to the big leagues now? Expose him to. It's a big league pitching now. Get him used to all that and get your Blue Jays fans excited opinion, about something. I know it's your opinion on the 13-day thing. In my opinion, I expect Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be the starting third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays because I want to see Roger Center get on its feet. Yeah, I, I do too. And, you know, when you know we, we saw it a few years ago when the Toronto Blue Jays made the playoffs when there is – there are very, and I can say this, there are very few environments um, as far as I'm concerned that when it's playoff time are rowdier than the Toronto Blue Jays. Like that's one of the, that, that's one of the most explosively loud stadiums in the big leagues that I've seen when it comes to, when it comes to playoff baseball. So it, it's so unbelievably exciting over there. And, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and probably re-signing guys like Marcus Stroman yeah, and Aaron Sanchez the are the Blue next step to getting back to that Charles point. I think Montoya will do a decent job. But, I mean, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is just too good to be in a 13-day period in AAA. I, I, I really believe that he's going to have a fantastic spring training and he's going to be the opening day third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. And I certainly hope that's what happens because I don't want to be deprived of that greatness for you know thirteen extra days. I've already been waiting for an incredibly long time. The Dodger Stadium. I want to see that. Oh, he'll be up, and uh, you know, I I don't know who he's going to face at that point, but I. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he puts on a fireworks show. And I think that might be the one thing you'd be able to accept is what, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. putting on a fireworks show because he's just so maybe unbelievably He's going to be amazing to watch. Stadium, maybe he can hit a home run. How Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run over the left field roof of Dodger Stadium.
That's how amazing he is. Oh, I think and he's. I think he's going to hit home. I runs think he's got that type of power. Oh yeah, no, those Blue Jays fans are blessed, and they I I can't wait for them. And I'm not even I'm not even from Toronto, and I'm not even a Blue Jays fan, and I cannot wait for them to be able to watch Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the first time. They got a little preview of him last year um, when the Cardinals and the uh, and and the and the Toronto Blue Jays played each other in that in that little indoor series that they do in the Montreal Expos old stadium. They got a little bit of a preview of that, and he hit a monster walk off shot in that game. Uh, toward the end of spring training, and if that's any if that's any um, you know indication of what he's going to be like at yeah, the big I league did, level, I, then I the Blue Jays fans are going to be spoiled. Toronto Blue Jays fans are going to love Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know his father was good, but I think Vlad Jr. is going to be even better. Oof, and that and that's a really really bold statement, but I a hundred percent agree with you. He's going to be on. Believable. Yeah, he's going to be the, the next major and, face in that and franchise. Also, I think when it comes to their pitching staff, talk about guys like Marcus Stroman still has ace type stuff. Aaron Sanchez has ace type stuff. Another breakout candidate that I think is going to shine this year and, and Blue Jay fans are going to love is Danny Jansen, the catcher. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I listen, the big thing about Stroman last year is that he, he was just battling injuries. But when he is right, Stroman is a guy that has the stuff to be able to compete with other guys, um, you know, at the top of the rotation throughout this division. And, um, you know, one thing that I absolutely love about him is that he is a competitor. He goes out there every day and, you know, he, he wants to battle with the best in the, you know, in the big leagues. And, you know, he brings you that tenacity from inning to inning, that swagger. Yes, he does. And Aaron Sanchez will do the same too. And I think with the bullpen of the Blue Jays, if you, if you can early analyze it, I do think that even though Ken Giles wasn't right in Houston, I think Ken Giles will, reinvent himself as the closer for the Blue Jays. Yeah, and he's a big-time arm. And, you know, I, I, you know, the big problem with him has just been his attitude. You know, he, he's just kind of a, a clubhouse enigma. He's certain, developed that reputation as such. But, um, you know, that, that's a, that's a big-time 100-mile-an-hour arm of the wipeout slider. And, you know, hopefully he's able to, I think like he's you said, kind of reinvent himself think, in Toronto. And then Roberto Azuna, a guy who – who the Astros got in return in that Ken Giles deal. I think Roberto Azuna is going to be a great closer for the Astros if you speak of, of former Blue Jays and current Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, definitely. Ozuna, I, I love him. Um, you know, he's an incredibly poised guy, upper 90s fastball, big breaking ball, good changeup. And, um, you know, for him, it was, he, he showed to me at least – he showed a lot of humility last year after, you know, going through what he went through with the domestic violence situation and, you know, coming back and just, just putting his head down and pitching well for the, um, you know, for, for the Houston Astros. And they certainly got, even though what, um, you know, obviously the situations that they were coming from were, were much worse as far as uh, Roberto Osuna is concerned coming from the domestic violence situation. They, you know, they move a guy who was kind of a, a clubhouse problem in, in Ken Giles out of there and get more of a acquired a guy who puts his head to the grind and just does his Absolutely. job. And and obviously also, is one I of think, the best I at think, his job. I think we'll talk about the blue Jays in the weeks to come. And like I said, expect Vlad jr. To be the starting third baseman for the blue Jays. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, 
like I said, I do think that they're going to end up exercising that unbelievably stupid 13-day option. But, man, do I really want to see this kid play. So, hopefully they make the smart choice. I and, think the Blue Jays will make the smart the decision and, start uh, opening day. And, and put Vlad Jr. on opening day. Now, with that being said, let's talk about I, I really hope you're right. what he has in store with the Baltimore Orioles. So, Everybody thinks the Baltimore Orioles are going to be a disappointment. Do you see the Baltimore Orioles being another, having another disappointing season? No, absolutely. I, I really do. And, um, you know, they, listen, this is, a, this is a Baltimore Orioles team that is, uh, you know, really, really dedicated to just a full-blown rebuild. You obviously saw that with them, um, you know, being able to, to give away Manny Machado with the way that they did. Um, you know they they have a they have a couple of nice pieces on their team. Um, you know, for example, I'm a big fan of Dylan Bundy. I think he's got really really nice stuff. Um, I think that Michael Givens is going to end up sliding into their closer role this year. Uh, Trey Mancini is a guy who I think is going to turn into a really nice hitter for them. The it, it's just the one thing that just continues to be a head num- number one a head scratcher, but number two the thing that's going to probably cripple them at least for the first couple of years as they enter this rebuild is is the big man chris davis like that it's such a big contract for a guy who was just so tremendously bad last year and the 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 worst thing is 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 number one he's getting older number two power guys like him with high strikeout numbers don't magically turn that around as they get older you know their vision starts to go their bat speed starts to go those numbers, you know, and hopefully he's not as absolutely dreadful as he was last year, but it's not like he's going to, you know, bounce back to being this magically powerful statistical beast of a hitter. Like those numbers are not going to get any better. And that contract is taking up so much cap space for them that they're not going to be able to really do anything for the next couple of years. They're kind of just going to yeah, be stuck. And it's really, really sad to see another, the Baltimore Orioles are going to be the worst team in baseball again this year. Oh yeah. If not, at least at the very minimum, one of the worst, if not the worst, but uh, you know, they're in such a bad position right now. They're in such a bad spot, especially because of the fact that they're playing in arguably the, the best division in baseball, um, in in the national in the American League East. Now, obviously, that could be up for debate, but you're playing such powerhouses, um, you know, multiple times a year in the Yankees and the Red Sox and even the Tampa Bay Rays. That's certainly not going to help. Um, you know, then you go and and you play, you know, the the Cleveland Indians of the world and the Athletics and, um, you know, certainly the Houston Astros are are incredible. So. It's going to be another really rough one for Baltimore, and I kind of um, think you know, Brandon is going to be the right person to lead the right Baltimore Orioles into that rebuild. I, I just didn't. I like Buck. I, I love Buck Showalter. He's a great manager, but he just wasn't right for this young Baltimore Orioles team going forward. No, I think Buck Showalter is a guy that you know. You, he's such an old school guy that he's more of a guy that you put in for a winning team because he's kind of a. He, he's kind of a, a rough rider guy who, you know, he's, he's a grinder. And, you know, I, I don't think at this point in his career, 
he's around for, you know, player development. I think at this point in his career, Buck Showalter is a guy that, you know, you stick in there with a winning team. He's got that playoff experience and he can take you over the hump with that experience. But, you know, with, with the with the position that they're in right now, I, it's almost like they didn't really have a use for him there. Like as if it, as if it was just pointless for keeping him there. And again, like you said, he's a very, very good manager. It's just, you know, for the future, it's time to yeah. I think Brandon it's time to look in right a different direction. That's just how it is. This young Baltimore Orioles team, but like I said, my favorite players when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles, I've obviously liked Mark Trumbo, SoCal kid, right header, and and he fits well with this ball with the ballpark that the Orioles are in. It's Camden Yards. I think it's a good hitter's park, and he loves to hit there. And Joey Rickard's another nice piece. I agree with you about Trey Mancini, and. If the somehow if the Orioles want to move on from Chris Davis, that's going to save them money in the in the long run. I like Chris Davis; he's a great hitter, but he had, like you said, he's just not very productive as of late. No, he's really not. And you know, you you mentioned being able to move him. Um, you know, if I could, if I could find a way to get out of that contract, I would do that in literally the snap of a finger. The problem is, is that you know. On top of the fact that he had such a bad season last year, he's not getting any younger, and that you know that offensive ability is not getting any better. Now I get now, obviously, change of scenery may be good for him at this point in his career, and he's obviously an unbelievable big time power threat when he's right. But right now, if I'm the Baltimore Orioles, I want to move him, but I don't know how much I'm really going to be able to get for him because. While he is that big-time power threat, he's coming off of such a bad year, so his market value has dropped tremendously. And if I'm the Baltimore Orioles, I'm not wasting any time with getting these kind of low-end prospects. I want to be able to kind of speed up the rebuild progressively and get guys that are good developers. Now, I don't know. Now, their player development system could be much better than I'm giving them credit for. But at the same time, moving him is going to be difficult just because of, number one, the contract. Number two, the aging yeah, player, and but number three, the market value. Do you agree with so like guys like Mark Trumbo being their best player right now? Because Mark Trumbo is a guy that loves to hit at Camden Yards. Oh, I love Mark Trumbo, and he's you know he's gotten so comfortable at that place. It's a really really nice, like you mentioned, it's a good hitters park, and um, you know big time power guy who. Is, is just a very consistent guy. You know, he's not going to wow you with the average and he's not, you know, he's, he's obviously a DH at this point in his career, but you know, he's going to go out there give you 30, 35 home runs, you know, 500 slugging and, you know, go out there every day and just, you know, be a, a quiet guy and do his job. And hopefully he'll be able to, you know, he'll be he able to just does. continue to produce at a, at a consistent clip the way that he not does. Bad of a piece. And you said Trey Mancini's not that bad as well. No, Trey Mancini, I think, is a good hitter. I think he's going to end up being a, a, a decent centerpiece for them in this rebuild. Um, an interesting guy that, that uh, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, you talk about Trey Mancini, Joey Rickard. Um, an interesting guy for me to see how he kind of fits in um, with this team. And I know he's not insanely young, but he's not insanely old either, is, is Jonathan VR. You know, he's been around the block a little bit, but he is – he is only 27, and um, 
you know, he, he's a guy that has shown that when he is healthy, he's a dude that can steal a ton of bases. Yeah, and he absolutely. has that 15 home run type I mean, power. We're going to talk about the Orioles and, and the Twins and the Blue Jays and the Tigers in the weeks to come. But with that being said, let's preview the Cincinnati Reds 2019 season. And let's talk about what their biggest offseason move was. Obviously, one of them was trading for Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood and Matt Kemp and Kyle Farmer. Getting Tanner Roark, I was not a fan of that because Tanner Roark doesn't have pretty good stuff when he's on the mound. But I think Sony Gray is going to turn his career around with the Reds. Yeah, I think Sonny Gray, just getting him out of New York was incredibly important. Just a big change of scenery is huge for him. Um, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how in the world that works. Um, you know, p- pitching in, in one of the most notorious hitters ballpark in all of Major League Baseball. Um, so we'll see how that works out. But, you know, getting him out of, out of New York was a big thing. Um, I'm a really, really big fan of the moves of, you know, getting uh, a Yasiel Puig in there. He's a young guy still with some power. Um, you know, Matt Kemp is a guy that – you know, while he is starting to get older, that's a star power guy that can bring in Nate, you know, that can bring in seat uh, guys in the seats along with Joey Votto. Um, and, you know, Eugenio Suarez is a guy that's turning into a, a top 10 third baseman in the league. Um, so it, it's really interesting. They have some nice pieces. Obviously, I don't think, you know, obviously they're not competing for the division. We all know that, but they're certainly not going to be, you know, a, a pushover. Absolutely. Either. They have some I really, mean, really nice I mean, names on this roster. They didn't want to trade Joey Votto. When they traded away Jay Bruce and all that, they knew they wanted to build this Reds team around uh, Joey Votto. Well, Joey Votto is the sustainable hitter in the lineup. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he he's notorious. He's notorious for being one of those guys that ages so well because not only is he a tremendous hitter, he he's got such a great eye and such great plate discipline, and you know, he's a dude that is, you know, he's a dude with such a good compact swing and a good feel for hitting, and that always, you know, that translates really well as you age, and then obviously he's. Uh, you know, more than a, a capable power threat, a dude that can slug up around 500 every single year and, you know, be one of the leaders in on base percentage. And then also is a gold glove, uh, a gold glove first baseman. And, you know, he's, he's starting to approach, you know, mid thirties now. And um, he, he's just been sustaining an oh, unbelievable pace all, all mean, throughout these years. Let's talk about now with the Reds, new manager, David Bell. And we talked about last week, that he is going to do great things for the Cincinnati Reds ball club. And do you see him, like, I know his father played for the Reds. Do you think David Bell is going to build a better program for the Reds than uh, Brian Price did? I think I definitely think so. Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's got better pieces to work with now. Um, you know, you there's a few, there's a number of guys that I really like. I like me and you love Luis Castillo at the top of this rotation. He's got great stuff. Um, I think Sonny Gray has the opportunity to turn it around in there. Um, a guy that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more extensively a little bit later, but a guy who's a breakout player, uh, a breakout candidate for me on this team is Jesse Winker in the outfield. Um, I really like Scooter Jeanette, Eugenio Suarez. Obviously I mentioned Jose Peraza is a good young hitter. I, I think as far as Brian Price is concerned, he was when he got in there, he was sort of getting toward the end of what was 
uh, of what was a Reds team that had been pretty good over the years. You were getting toward the end of, of, um, of, of Brandon Phillips. You were getting toward the end of the run of Jay Bruce in there. Um, as far as, as far as David Bell is concerned, he's got a little bit more youth to work with a little bit more dynamic pieces to work with. Um, so I think because of that, he's he is. set up and in also a better position than Brian Turner Price Ward, previously who, was. Who recruited Yasiel Puig to be a Cincinnati Red. I think Turner Ward is not that bad of a hitting coach. I've seen him as, as the hitting coach for the Dodgers. And I think Turner Ward will do a good job with this Reds team and also help and help develop Yasiel Puig into more of a good hitter. And I'm very happy that even though Puig left the Dutch, was traded from the Dodgers, I'm happy that Puig and Turner Ward are going to continue that relationship. Yeah, and that's absolutely huge. Um, you know, you can have a lot of talent um, as a big league hitter, but one thing that you love to find is, is camaraderie with a hitting coach because, you know, he understands your tendencies as far as your work habits are concerned. He understands your swing and he understands your mental approach. And, and, you know, Yasiel Puig is a guy that has always had tremendous talent. He's got power speed. Um, you know, he can hit the ball in the gap. Um, I, I always thought that, you know, if he was just able to cut down how big of a swing he, you know, how big of a swing he has and kind of just clean up his approach mentally, um, he, he would be able to be an all-star caliber player. And obviously now he goes into a ballpark in, in Great American that is a great hitter's park. So I think this move for his career He's gonna love his is, is going to be a ballpark. really, really big one for him. I want to recognize somebody that loved Yasiel Puig. This person's a very good friend of mine. Dodger fan herself, um, but she, her, Whitney Mackey, a friend, a, a, a friend of mine that I've known since I was a little kid, um, she is a diehard Yasiel Puig fan, and she's listening. She could agree with this. She was not happy with how the Dodgers front office handled this and trading Yasiel Puig. No, I think it, it's it's weird because Yasiel Puig became – labeled as like this kind of enigma like this guy who you know he sort of played with his head up his ass you know he he was you know he came off to people as kind of just like a wild horse and you know maybe he's untamable maybe he's you know lazy maybe he you know isn't fully committed to the Dodgers whatever the case may be but he's got this tremendous talent and you know he started to show that last year I think once again and um, you know, like you mentioned, he's going to have a lot of fun hitting a great American ballpark. And it's sad. Just, it's sad just because I think that, um, you know, he, he could have really fit in well in the long term plans of the Dodgers. But I think it was kind of essential for them to, you know, kind of move him just because you want to make some room for Alex Verdugo. And then obviously they bring in A.J. Pollock on a one year deal. Um, maybe there's could have been room for him to fit in, but. I think this move it is for his career is going to turn I mean, out to be incredibly even beneficial. Though, even though, like I mentioned, my one of my best friends that loves Yasiel Puig, she could agree with uh, with what we're saying right now, but she's probably going to disagree in what we say about why Puig, why this move for Puig is beneficial for Yasiel Puig to be a member of the Cincinnati Reds than him being a member of the Dodgers. Yeah, I you know, it, to me, it's just about how that outfield kind of lays out. You know, I've, like we mentioned, you get, you know, you, you, it's a you bring in A.J. Pollock. Pollock. I know that's only a one-year deal, but listen, if that dude – oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Four, 
it's a long-term deal for Pollock, so you have him there. And obviously, if he's healthy, he's a tremendous asset to them. Um, you know, Cody Bellinger's obviously not going anywhere. You want to bring in, you know, you bring up Alex Verdugo, a young kid, and um, it, it's just it's just clogged. And that was obviously the big thing coming into the offseason is what are the Dodgers going to do with all of this clutter in their outfield? And, you know, sometimes you have to cut ties with guys that are really good players like Yasiel Puig to be able to bring up guys who are going to be the future, like Alex Verdugo. So um, it, it's sad in that regard if you're a fan of Yasiel Puig. And, and to your friend, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. Um, but, um, you know, for I, I think for both the Dodgers with kind of making space for that outfield to grow the way that they see fit for the future and, you know, for Yasiel Puig to be able to go to a place where he'll be able to play every day and, and put up productive numbers in a hitter-friendly ballpark. Yeah, I think the move ends up working out for, for both teams. I mean, if you look at it, Matt Kemp's a guy I don't see starting for the Reds because I think Matt Kemp's old. He doesn't have the good defense he used to have in, in left field, but I see I still Matt Kemp being a hitter, like a tremendous hitter, and I think he'll he'll keep hitting long balls and golfing balls out of the yard when it comes to Matt Kemp. Well, I still think and that's and that's why I disagree with you on the fact that I see Matt Kemp starting just because, you know, he's going to be able to provide that power in the lineup. And, you know, I with, with the fact that Great American Ballpark is a hitter's ballpark, shorter outfield doesn't have as much distance to cover. And, you know, for me, he still has a yeah, good I enough think, arm I to think be Kemp able to play in the left outfield for the Reds. And then I, I although I like Scott Shrebler, I know he's used to be a former Dodger, but I see Jesse Winker being in center field. Oh yeah, I definitely see Jesse Winker bring. Uh, definitely see Jesse Winker starting, like I mentioned. Um, you know, for me, he's a breakout candidate. To me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Shinsu Chu uh, type, of, you know, type of guy. You know, he's got a higher. You know, he, he's going to always end up with a higher, str- uh, higher walk rate than strikeout rate. Last year, uh, walked more times than he struck out. He's got good gap power. Um, you know, he can play some defense in center field and. You know, I think he's going to end up developing really nicely yeah, for them. He still hasn't even yeah, really hit his point, ceiling. He's prime for a breakout season, so that's why I changed my mind on what I predict the Reds lineup will look like. We'll get to that in a minute. I, I do have Jesse Winker playing in center field and then making room for Matt Kemp to start in left field. Yeah, and plus two, I think, you know, as far as Matt Kemp is concerned, I, I think they're going to end up probably letting him go at the end of the season anyway. But for what it is right now, you know, he's a, he's a big-name guy. He was an all-star last year. And, you know, if you're the Cincinnati Reds, one thing that you want to do is you want to get your fan base excited about something right now. So you have a guy in Matt Kemp who has some star power attached to his name. You put him in the lineup and, you know, he'll, he'll give you some production, sure. But, you know, he's also a guy that, you know, is going to be able to draw people through the turnstiles. It'll get up ticket sales. It'll get up excitement for the team. And I think that it, that's also oh, a part absolutely. of the So now let's talk about their pitching. The we'll get to our breakout players for the Reds in just a minute. But – the pitch starting rotation. I expect uh, Luis Castillo to be the opening day starter for the Reds. I do as well. And Castillo is a guy who I, I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, he's got absolutely tremendous stuff. Um, you know, I see him being the number one right now. Uh, my rotation kind of fills out like this uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. I see 
Uh, Castillo being the number one starter, followed by Alex Wood is the number two. Um, Sonny Gray is the number three. Anthony DeSclafani is the number four. And Ter- and um, Tanner Roark is the number five, with maybe the idea of throwing um, one of their former top prospects, also, Robert don't Stevenson, rule out in there, Brown. depending on how he does. In this, ro- in this rotation, because I saw him pitch against Walker Buehler last year when the Dodgers played the Reds last year. And Tyler Malley has very good stuff. He does have very good stuff. And, you know, w- with the fact that you have guys like, you know, like a Tanner Roark and a Sonny Gray who are a little bit, you know, uh, who um, I- I'm not super high on. Um, I'm much higher on Gray just because of the fact that I've seen him, you know, over a long period of time pitch on an ace level and because he's also younger than Roark. But, um, you know, Stevenson, Robert Stevenson has kind of failed a little bit as a starter. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And, you know, you mentioned Mally being able to have good stuff. And, you know, because they're a young, you know, because they're a younger kind of, you know, experimenting team a little bit, if you will, they'll be able to have some opportunities for some guys like Mally to make some spot starts and you'll see him um, hopefully be able to continue to grow. Um, but as of right now, I do have him uh, out of my rotation, but do I, I do count Absolutely, on him obviously to be able to make some spot the starts have, over the course of the year. I have Castillo being the number one, then, uh, Sony Gray, the number two, then uh, Alex Wood, the, the number three, and then Tanner Roark's the fourth, and then Anthony DeSclafani as the fifth starter. But with DeSclafani, when healthy, he is going to be he's going to be something special. But he's had injury issues the past couple of years. But I do think DeSclafani is is going to hit his ceiling this year. Oh yeah, DeSclafani is a guy when healthy. He can you know he he's a good good pitcher you know. You know, low to mid nineties fastball. He can get outs. You know, he's not going to blow anybody away, but he can give you innings. Um, you know, he he's a, a really nice piece to have in your rotation from the right side. You know, he's going to just go out there and and you know, pitch it. You know, pitch to the best of his ability. Not he doesn't overpower guys, but he gets you ground balls. You know, he throws a heavy ball and um will will give you a lot of innings over the course of the year. He's a candidate for a one eighty one ninety. Uh, you know, innings type of guy, um, you know, and that that's a really yeah, good gonna, thing to have I as a number the five starter. Gonna be pretty rotation. good this year. And talk about the bullpen. I think Ross Hill Iglesias, who I wanted the Dodgers to trade, I think he's solidified taking over as the oldest Chapman of the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, and I also think uh, Amir Garrett is oh, a good yeah. back end guy too. And uh, I also think uh, J- Jared Hughes. I think is going to be the setup man to give the ball to uh, to uh, Rossiel Iglesias. Yeah, I agree with you, and I love Iglesias. He has absolutely unbelievable stuff, a filthy slider. Um, and then they bring in, uh, you know, a, a couple of other guys that I really like that they have. Um, David Hernandez is a veteran right-hander. They bring him in. Um, he's a dude that has pretty good stuff from the right side. Um, Obviously, uh, Michael Lorenzen, who, um, you know, has been more profiled for the fact that he got that hit the day after, you know, the day after his dad died, he hit a home run. But um, he has he, he has lights out stuff from the right side as well. Um, and then, you know, their former top prospect, Robert, uh, Robert Stevenson, you know, he's a dude that kind of failed a little bit of his uh, as a starter. Uh, like I mentioned, hopefully he'll be able to fit in as a reliever. Zach Duke is a lefty reliever that's been around for a while. 
Um, so they have some they have some decent pieces, obviously, with featuring um, Iglesias as the closer. And I agree and then with I you do that believe Jared that Hughes uh, is going to end up being be the, the setup guy. The seventh inning. Yeah, Amir Garrett has really really nice stuff on the left side as well. So um, you know that they, they actually have a, a, a pretty decent bullpen now again this is not going to be a team that is going to compete at the top of the division by any stretch of the imagination but they will not be a pushover and you know we'll, we'll get into them in a second but yeah, I, mean, we'll get to the I don't think that minute, the pirates will be a pushover it's going to be a breakout player for the cincinnati reds this year it's going to be jesse winker no doubt Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like I mentioned, Winker profiles to me as a Shinsu Chu type of guy. And, um, you know, 25 years old, he's entering his prime. He's only going to get better. And once you give him that, uh, once you give him 500 at bats uh, over the course of a season, yes, watch out. Absolutely. This dude so is going to flourish. Said, my batting order for the Cincinnati Reds is I have Jesse Winker leading off. Then I have Scooter Jeanette batting second. And then I have Eugenio Suarez batting third with Joey Votto hitting fourth. And then I have Matt Kemp hitting fifth and playing left field with Yasiel Puig hitting sixth and playing right field. And then I have Tucker Barnhart batting seventh and doing the catching. And then Jose Peraza batting eighth and playing shortstop. All right. Our lineups go in a little bit of a different direction. So I have Jose Peraza batting first at shortstop. I have Jesse Winker batting second in left field. I have Did you put Joey Jesse Votto Winker batting third field? at first base. You, Eugenio Suarez. No, I, oh, excuse, yes, excuse, no, yeah, I did, I'm sorry, that's my bad, I do have him in center field, I read that wrong, um, anyway, I have, uh, so, Jenny, Jesse Winker batting second in center field, Joey Votto at first base, batting third, Eugenio Suarez at third base, batting fourth, I have Matt Kemp in left field, batting fifth, Scooter Jeanette at second base, batting sixth, Yasiel Puig in There's right field, batting seventh, and Tucker Barnhart catching, batting eight. I know he runs very well. I want. I think Winker and uh, I, I. I think Winker and Jeanette are going to be like your base stealing threats when it comes to the Reds in the top of the order. That's why I have Eugenio Suarez batting third. And I actually do like that explanation. I never really thought about it like that. Um, you know, the the way I kind of saw it was, um, you know, I. I profile Peraza a little bit as a leadoff hitter. Now you can move him between, you know, I, to me, he's either, he's either one of two things. He's either a table setter or a turnover guy. So you can, I, I really would only put him in the one or eight spots. Um, you know, I, I look at Winker. He profiles to me as a, a, a number two type of hitter with his gap power and, um, you know, his, his ability to be able to get on base. Um, you know, I, I want to put Yasiel Puig a little bit higher in the lineup. I really do. It's just that I, you know, I, I want to see him be able to control his swing a little bit more, um, especially early on. I want to see in that ballpark, if he's just going to be going there flicking and swinging for the fences because he knows that it's a, you know, a, a hit a big time hitters ballpark, or if he's going to be able to take a, di a much more disciplined ap approach, let that swing come to him and let the ballpark do the work for him instead of him going out of the yeah, way, I think trying as hard as he possibly can to take advantage of the park. I think Turner Ward, the hitting coach of the Reds, I think he's going to tell Yasiel Puig to kind of settle down with this swing, be more disciplined and not, and let the home run ball come to you. Yeah, and that, and you know what? That's really how you take advantage of a hitter's ballpark. You know the fast. You know, 
the, the pitching is going to provide all the power that you need with the velocity coming off of a fastball. So, you know, it's just about taking a, you know, a calm approach with your swing, letting, you know, getting the, um, you know, let, letting the ball do all the work for you. And, you know, the, the more you try to create things with your swing, like home runs and, and balls launched, the more bad habits that you get into and the less that you're going to be able to take advantage of the ballpark that you're in. So he just needs to go up there and, and, you know, have a, have a, have a single approach, just, you know, take the ball where it's pitched and hit it where it's pitched. And eventually your power and the natural ability of your swing. To Absolutely. Power now that being said, now we're going to be able to work the for you. 2019 season. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh pirates, 2019 season. So the headliner is that I've been he- reading that Gregory Polanco has been progressing very, very well from his shoulder injury and ahead of schedule. So, do you think he, he could be ready for opening day? Um, for opening day, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, and if it were me in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, I wouldn't push it by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I've read a couple of reports myself um, that he could be back probably in June. And, um, you know, I, I think that would be a really, really nice time. I think that would be a good timeline for him. Um, you know, the Pirates are going to be a good team. They're not going to push the top of the division. So I, you know, I take a star in Gregory Polanco that I want to build around it. You know, just let him kind of j- just let him go in his rehab. Now, the fact that he's ahead of schedule is absolutely fantastic. But at the same time, you don't want to continue to push him. Just because he's ahead of schedule, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you can just continue to push it and push it and push it. He's ahead of schedule for a reason because he's been, you know, healing up well in the process of his rehab. And you don't want to break that process. Yeah, I mean, I think Gregory Polanco is going to be a key to this Pittsburgh Pirates team, along with Marte, along with Josh Bell. They got a nice young core now now that they got rid of McCutcheon and Josh Harrison and and all that, and adding Chris Archer to this rotation last year is going to help the Pirates out in the near future. And let's talk about a guy that's going to be missed, and this rotation's not going to be the same without. It's a guy in Chad Cool who's going to be missing the year with Tommy John surgery. And I think with Chad Cool, he has the stuff, and he's going to—he's already living up to his potential. Oh yeah, he definitely has the stuff. It was just a matter of him kind of, uh, you know. I, I think a big thing for me was just getting, you know, getting that, getting that walk rate down. Just him being able to have a have a much better feel for his mechanics and a better feel for his velocity. But I mean, this this team still has a multitude of really really nice arms, even without Chad Cool. Um, you know, Jameson Tyon at the top of this rotation is a guy that I love. I'm very high on him. Um, I think he's going to be an. I think he's got a shot to be an All Star this year. Um, Chris Archer is obviously a great guy for them. Trevor Williams flies under the radar, and then Joe Musgrove had a nice season for them last year. And um, you know they re-signed Francisco Liriano, who could vie for this rotation. You got Nick Kingham, um, who had a couple of nice starts for them last year. So they have some guys in this. Ro- Chad Cool will be missed, but they have guys in this rotation that can certainly, um, you know. Fill that absence, yeah, I saw uh, Nick Kingham last year when the Dodgers played the Pirates the in game one of that series, and the Dodgers just wore him out, and he didn't last that long when I saw Nick Kingham pitch against the Dodgers. 
Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I did see Kingham in his first start, um, and, you know, he threw incredibly well. He, had a, he actually had a, um, a, a no-hitter going. Uh, a little bit through his first start. I, I distinctly remember that because I was watching it. On, I was watching the highlights of it um, on my phone and, uh, you know, thinking to myself, who in the world is this guy? And then he's coming up and throwing incredibly well. Um, but, you know, I, I really, I, I love the pieces in their rotation. Ty, like I mentioned, Tyone is an all-star pitcher. I think the same way of Archer, um, especially when he's right, um, I, I think that, you know, he's in a new environment, new scenery, and he'll be able yeah, to – I think, I, I think he's going to have a really, really nice year, year for that. For sure. And uh, I think this rotation for the Pirates has very good pieces too. And I think – let's turn to their bullpen. I think getting Keon Kella from the Texas Rangers th- this past season is going to help their, their back end of the bullpen and how they're going to give the ball to, uh, to, uh, to Felipe Vasquez. I love Felipe Vasquez. He is electric. And, um, you know, you mentioned Keone Kayla. That uh, I think that move flew under the radar as far as bullpen moves are concerned because he's a guy that has big-time stuff. You know, he, he, he's a guy that can really – who's going to really fill that setup role for them nicely. Um, the, you know, as far as the rest of their bullpen is concerned, whether they want to use Liriano as a long guy or, the, uh, or a guy in their rotation remains to be seen. Um, I think Nick Birdie is a guy that could have a really good year out of their bullpen, um, along with uh, I think Michael, Michael Feliz, Feliz who's the, got some experience will be the seventh as well. Inning guy, and then uh, Keone Kello will be the setup man, and then obviously that's a good formula to give the ball to Felipe Vasquez. And Vasquez is going to continue to become, you know, to turn into one of the best closers in the league. I mean, he's got such unbelievable. Stuff in the left side, and it's Absolutely. incredibly formally known as Felipe Rivera, but he just goes by Felipe Vasquez now. And uh, I'm going to talk. Let's talk about who the Pirates did, what they did this offseason to help their roster out. I think Lonnie Chisenhall, not a superstar player, but he's not that bad of a pickup for the Pirates in, in Lonnie Chisenhall. No, he's not at all. And you know, he he's a guy that has a lot of power from the left side. And um, you know, you talk about another guy that is is kind of flying under the radar that I you know re, that a lot of us really probably didn't realize that the pirates picked up is is Melky Cabrera you know he's a guy that um is going to be a, a big mentor to a lot of these you know young latin players when you talk about uh you know Starling Marte and 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 Gregory Polanco I mean, he's a dude that has certainly been around the block. And, um, you know, he's going to kind of take the same role that a guy like a Francisco Liriano is taking on the pitching staff side. He's a dude that, you know, he can give out, um, you know, advice to the young players. He can be a mentor, but he's a guy that can come off the bench every now and then and give you a quality at bat from either side of the plate. Um, and you mentioned Chisholm I love that signing as well because he's a dude that's played on – on playoff teams in, in Cleveland. So he knows what type of culture, yeah, I think for um, now, you know, sets you up for Gregory success. Polanco is a hundred percent. Expect Lonnie Chisholm to start in right field with Charlie Marte in center. And then Corey Dickerson. In yeah. Left I field. agree with you on that. And then let's talk about another guy that I think is going to yes, have a absolutely. very, very good comeback season. He's a guy that, that had, had visa issues and had off the field issues. And a guy, I believe he's going to come back 
and be, be the, the guy that we're used to seeing when he first came up to the bigs in 2015. And that is John O. Gong. I really like John. I liked him a lot coming out of, you know, when, when he first, you know, got into the big leagues because he profiled the way that, you know, the shortstops are starting to profile now. You know, he's got power. Um, you know, he, he's not really going to wow you on the defensive side of the ball. He doesn't really do one thing particularly well, but he's a dude that, you know, he, he's a good culture guy and he played really well in that ballpark. And, um, you know, hopefully he's able to uh, figure it out figure out his off the field issues and, you know, kind of repress that away from the game and come back and have a nice year. You know, he is going to be competing this year with Colin Moran for that third base position. And, I think, and I that's think a position John that Ho-Gong I think he has the ability to win. I, I expect John Hogong to be the starting third baseman for the Pirates over Colin Moran. I do agree with you as well. I do have him in, in my minute, opening yeah, we'll day. Let's talk about a guy uh, who I think is going to break out from a sophomore slump. A guy similar to Cody Bellinger. He was like he challenged him to be rookie of the year. He had a sophomore slump, but I think he's going to get he's going to he's going to have a rebound season, and that's Josh Bell. I love Josh Bell, and the the the, the power potential on this man is 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 just terrifying. He's a big body dude. Uh, at you know, at 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 six four two forty. I mean, that is exactly what you want out of a big power hitting guy. And um, you know, just just you know, he it's it's weird because he had such a he had such an incredible year in two thousand and seventeen. You know, twenty six home runs, ninety RBIs in one hundred and fifty nine games. And what's really odd in all of this is that I take a look at his slash line 2017 255 334 on base and 466 slugging and then somehow manages to have a higher batting average with a higher on base percentage but a lower slugging percentage so I I think that he I I I don't really know from a you know from a, a firsthand perspective but what that really seems to me is that he became a little bit more conscious about just becoming a pure hitter and hopefully he's able to combine the two elements of being a pure hitter and being a, a big time power threat because with that with that size and and you know that tremendous ability he should be able to be a guy that could be a 30 35 home run guy oh yeah with I maybe mean, he, a 260 270 is, ceiling is poised to have a bounce back here and a guy who i think is going to make a name on the roster if you look at other guys that are going to make a name for themselves is shortstop eric gonzalez and adam frazier who's expected to be the starting second baseman for the pirates Yeah, I do have them. I do have uh, Adam Frazier as my starting second baseman. I think he's going to end uh, in my lineup personally, and we'll go over so that you in th- a second. Do you, uh, do you think Adam Frazier is going to make a name that. for himself on the Pirates? I think he has the ability to. No, no question about it. I think he's going to end up being the starting second baseman for them this year. Um, you know, uh, he he's a guy that you know he he just really needs the games. He really needs the games because I think he's a pure. I think he could has the opportunity to what about to turn Aaron into a Gonzalez? really really nice pure hitter for them. Uh, Eric Gonzalez is a guy that I don't really know a whole ton about. Obviously, now moving in a different direction since they got rid of uh, of Jordy Mercer and sent him on his way. 
spent a last couple of years with Cleveland, um, did Eric Gonzalez. And, um, you know, I, I think just quite simply needs the opportunity to be able to prove himself 60 and 81 games, um, in 2017 and 2018, um, a piece. So, uh, you know, once he and just gets the playing I, time, I we'll see how he's able Francisco to do. Cervelli's Cervelli's already past his prime, so I wouldn't be surprised if Clint Hurdle decides to change his mind and make him the backup catcher and make room for Elias Diaz to be the starting catcher. Uh, I do think right now they will stick with Francisco Cervelli just because of that veteran presence. And, you know, when he is right, I mean, he's not a, he's not an explosively great hitter. By any means of the imagine, you know, by any means, you know, he's not an impact bat that's going to change the course of a game. But, you know, he, he's a reliable hitter in a, in, a, in a lineup and, you know, a guy that has proven to be a really, really solid defensive catcher as well. And I think he's going to mostly serve as kind of that, uh, you know, watch me sort of mentor to to Elias Diaz, you know, I and, think and kind of help groom of Diaz to be ready. I, I mean. Talk about this. I think the Pirates will finish fourth in the division with an 82 and 80 record with the Cincinnati Reds in last being tied for them with fourth mm-hmm. with an 82 and 80 record. So expect all those, all the NL Central teams to have w- records above 500 this year. Yeah, I think that seems reasonable. And, you know, like, like we mentioned, I mean, these are teams that are not going to be pushovers. You know, they have some really, really nice players. Obviously, it's tough for them because they're in a stacked division up at the top with those three teams, the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Brewers. All three of them are going to be in the playoffs this year, 150%. But, you know, these are teams that have good players. They are not going to be pushovers. They're going Absolutely. to give so competitive I'm tell you teams my a problem. lineup for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So um, I have leading off and playing center field is Starling Marte. Batting second in right field, Gregory Polanco. Batting third is the first baseman, Josh Bell. Batting fourth, the third baseman, uh, John Ogung. Batting fifth, the second baseman, Adam Frazier. Batting sixth, the left fielder, Corey Dickerson. Batting seventh and catching, Francisco Cervelli. And batting eighth and shortstop, Eric Gonzalez. Okay, so I made two lineups, um, one that had uh, one that does not have Gregory Polanco in it and then one that does have Gregory Polanco in it. So the first one that I made that does not have Polanco in it is uh, Adam Frazier batting first, uh, playing second base, Starling Marte batting second, playing center field, Corey Dickerson batting third, playing left, uh, Josh Bell at first base batting fourth, uh, Zheng Ho Gong at third base batting fifth, uh, Lonnie Chisholm Hall in uh, right field batting sixth, um, Francisco Cervelli catching batting seventh and, um, Eric Gonzalez at shortstop batting eighth. And then I have for my lineup with Gregory Polanco in it, um, not a huge number of changes, but it is Adam Frazier batting first at second, Starling Marte batting second at center field, batting third is Polanco in right field, batting fourth is Josh Bell. Um, batting fifth is Corey Dickerson in, in left field. Batting sixth, uh, Zhang Ho Gong at third base. Batting seventh uh, is um, Francisco Cervelli catching. And then batting eighth is Eric Gonzalez or uh, Kevin so Newman, for me, depending on how you want to swing it. So for me, with Polanco, I have Lonnie Chisenhall in the two-hole heading behind uh, Starline Marte. Okay, and you know, I I do like that. Chisholm Hall is a guy that, 
Um, you know, is is a nice threat. He's got some power from the left side. He's an experienced guy. Um, you can throw him pretty much anywhere. I just wanted to uh, – I, I did want to mention both lineups because I tried to experiment um, with the way that the lineups Pirates would look nice with and without Gregory Polanco. So, um, with that being said, let's preview the Dodgers' first two Cactus League games against the White Sox and the Angels and talk about the Mets' first two spring training games against the Braves and the Astros. So with the Dodgers playing against the White Sox, I'm not sure who's going to – I would expect the Dodgers to do a bullpen game on Saturday so that – Kershaw, we keep him fresh for opening day and all that. Yeah, I would probably expect the same thing. Um, I, I think the first game of spring training is, you know, you're, you're really not going to see, first of all, offensively, you're really not going to see a whole lot of starters out there. It's pretty much just getting, um, you know, the the younger guys and, you know, maybe the guys in on minor league deals kind of playing time. You know, you see how they rotate in and out uh, over the course of the game and, um, you know, for and and that and it's really kind of like this throughout the first week for the most part you know you'll see some stars and some some starters obviously playing over the you know over the course of the week but the playing time mostly goes to um you know the guys on minor league deals or the fringe uh the, you know the fringe 40 man roster guys and things like that so um you know it won't be anything too crazy it'll just be pretty much a lot of tinkering and experimenting on Dave Roberts part and um you know, it should, but Absolutely. obviously so it's so exciting that baseball Saturday, is When back. the Dodgers play the White Sox is I do, I'm going to tell you, I 